0: Some people just think that that's the best there is out there. It's like Henry Ford, when he made the car. He said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they'd have said they wanted faster horses.
1: (laughs) Welcome to this week's MTV podcast. In this podcast, we will discuss ways of reducing operations and improving quality. And we will also discuss solutions to make your business more efficient. I'm Giovanni Albanese hosting today's show, a passionate engineer with over 25 years experience in engineering and manufacturing and a proud member of the NTD team. Today I have the pleasure to be joined by Lee Donaldson. Lee joined Cogsdale in 1995 as an internal sales engineer and in 2019 became the MD of this global organization and is an industry leader within the engineering industry. Also, I have the pleasure to be joined by Neil Eumann. Neil started his engineering career in his family business at the time, which was called Chef Cut Tools and Engineering Limited. This company was founded by his father, Peter, He's now the International Sales Director for Cogsdale UK. Welcome guys. Welcome, thank you. Thank
2: you. Thank, thank you, you for the promotion as well, G. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm just I just promoted. I just promoted director. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> we can do we can work magic on these MTD podcasts. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us here today at the MTD Towers. It's great to have you guys back. You were recently at the studio and um, for the live question time, and we hope that you've got some good feedback. On that show now I want to start really and touch on where we left off really you know why Lee did you get into
0: engineering I think it was in my genes really Um, and also (laughs) growing up in rugby Uh, it's a very industrious area Um, and so I was surrounded with a lot of engineering companies there was a lot of engineering opportunities so when you left school there were several different apprenticeships available probably about 10-15 different employers and so, naturally, you you went to one of, unless you were doing something at the university or something like that. You went to one of the local companies who put you on an apprenticeship scheme, and you spent either two to four years there, and to get your basis of um, education.
1: So you worked somewhere prior to Cogsdale I assume, So <laughs> where where was that?
0: Yeah, I worked for a company called Segelac, which was the um, it was GEC Electrical, so it was a French subsidiary of GEC. Um, I didn't want to go to GC, I wanted to do something a bit different, so I went there as a, as a CAD technician, as a draftsman. So I went there for two years, started my ONC, and sadly they relocated everything to Derby, and obviously being 18, it wasn't feasible to do that, so I, I, had, to, I had to change roles.
1: Now Neil, you, you as well, you kind of come into engineering at an early age, yep. why did you uh, get into engineering? Was it because of your father, Peter?
2: Yes, pretty much, uh, Geo. Yeah, I, uh, I I left school, um, took my GCSEs. I was one of the first first years um, to do GCSEs. Um, opted not to uh, go into further education. I wanted to. Uh, I, I wanted to go into the family business. I wanted to go and work for my for my father, um, which I did. Um, and I, I really, really like you. Like yourself, you're a, you're a passionate engineer. So am I.
1: I think that Absolutely. engineering kind of found me rather than the other way around. I think my dad was a, at the time a sheet metal worker and he always believed in having a trade, having a career. Um, and when I didn't get what I wanted, I wanted to be an architect originally. So when that didn't come to fruition, I looked how long you had to go to university for. I thought I just want to be earning money at the time, rightly or wrongly, I don't know. But it's, it's worked out well. I think engineering is is a brilliant industry to be involved with, and I think
0: it's getting better and better. Do you agree? It is. I mean, it's a very wide industry. I mean, I remember, as I said, when I, when I went to, to do my first apprenticeship, it was, it was seen as that's where everyone went to. Um, that doesn't seem to happen as much now, you know, but I remember seeing that my dad was working for Rolls-Royce. And I remember being a kid saying, oh, my dad works for Rolls-Royce. Everyone just associated it with a car. Didn't realise that Rolls-Royce actually made turbines actually made aircraft engine. It was such a big company, and I guess that was a, a very uh, early indication of how you know, we, be, we become very ignorant to what companies actually do us about. I
1: think, I mean, I, we've heard a rumor on Question Time recently that you were an helicopter uh, wow. pilot. Now, why, why did you kind of start that rumor <laughs> off,
0: uh, Lee? Gosh, yeah. Um, to all those that still that think I am, a heli- <laughs> I am still a hel- helicopter pilot, I have actually had fly lessons since then, I will say. Um, but yeah, because you know, when I was in my early twenties, and you were, you know, you were going out and you were meeting people, and they asked you what you did, and as soon as you said you were an engineer, it was kind of a... a people just turned off.
1: So it was—it's it, so yeah. a way to meet women. Well, <laughs>
0: in, in, a, in, a, in a yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally, I totally <laughs> it get. What
1: you, yeah, I totally get. And I think there's still a misconception, in my opinion, about engineering being a dirty industry. When you go over to Germany, Italy, you know, they're seen as doctors yeah. uh, at, the, at the highest point of any kind of career, an engineer would come in as a a title. And they're totally uh, treated in a different way in which they are in the UK. And that is absolutely massive. I think we do definitely need to change the perception of engineering here in the UK, if we want to attract the next uh, generation of engineers. I mean, Neil, do
2: you agree with that? Absolutely agree, yeah. I mean, you said um, Germany, uh, also in America, you go to America and tell somebody you're an engineer and they go, wow. you don't really get that in the UK and whether it's because the the word engineer seems to get overused or used wrongly in the UK Um, a photocopier technician is an engineer in the UK and that's that really needs to change.
1: I think absolutely I think that something definitely drastically needs to change because we're working closely with educational institutes and I think that what I've seen through my own experience I can't talk for everybody is that but that these young apprentices that I've interviewed want to bypass the shop floor and get straight onto a computer yeah. and start designing. But you can't design components or you can't design them very well, shall I say, unless you know how to make them first. The shop floor is the most, the most, the, the best way to learn your trade. And from that, it's the best education you can possibly get. And the jobs that could follow that a fantastic. There's yeah. so many different career opportunities that can come from that grounding knowledge and education from being on the shop floor well, making.
0: I'd them. agree with that. I mean, we 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 take we're looking at two apprentices this year, so we're going to take one that's very green. He's coming straight from school, um, so we're going to put him onto a college course. So the first year we'll spend pretty much full time at college, and we're also looking at taking uh, someone who's already done their first year, so they've already cut the teeth. They already know what they're expecting to walk into. Um, but what's interesting is a few, you know, a couple of years ago we had a one of our apprentices and he'd been there three years and he'd finished his college course, and his lecturer turned around to him and said, "You can now go to your boss and say you're a qualified engineer." And I was like, "That's quite a quite a bold statement to make after three years because what do you mean? because because he'd finished his initial course, it was and you you had a qualification behind you." Now you're an engineer, and it's like, do you know what? I've been in this industry 27 years, and every day there is something new. As I'm sure yep. Neil will agree, and me, you're learning things all the time. Absolutely, 100%. I couldn't agree. That's a great statement. I think we're living in
1: a three-dimensional chess game with engineering. That's technology right. is, you know, people used to have meetings yearly to kind of, kind of have a meeting about the latest technology, how it can benefit their companies. But now they're probably having, or you probably should have. A meeting monthly. That's right. At, at the rate that technology is actually moving, it's just phenomenal. And I think that you never stop learning. I think that's a beauty of engineering, one of the most yeah. beautiful things of engineering. You never ever stop learning. I mean, you discussed with me recently the diversity in which uh, your products. Uh, get
0: used in, in the yeah, different right.
1: industries. You, you couldn't make it up, could you?
0: No, that's right. I mean, they, they, they're used in everything from automotive, aerospace, pharmaceutical, um, you know, even industrial food mixers that make your dog food. You know, it's such, it's such a vast thing. We get different inquiries come through to our office every day. And it is like a live series of how it's made. And does this
1: make you keep, solidly, does this keep your job fresh? Oh Does yeah. it keep you kind of, you know, getting up in the morning and, and, and having thoughts coming in your head at night? Is this what keeps you going? It does. because Keeps I mean, that op- passion there?
0: I mean, Neil has the opportunity firsthand because obviously he's going out to these customers and he'll ring up and say, you're never going to believe where I've been today and what I've seen.
2: I deal with the company that yes. um, that make the machines that squirt the jam into jammy dodges. <laughs> I
0: mean, that is the, that's got to be the pinnacle of your engineering. Don't, don't career.
1: tell Joe Reynolds about that. <laughs> it will be in there.
0: But yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember one of my first um, jobs with the roller burnishing tools was mm. burnishing um, the end of a beer tap, so that when they put the beer tap up, it didn't drip. You know, they also then had things with optics, and you're thinking, gosh, I never even realised that. You don't even think about that, mm. you know. You're in a. But having said that, I have I have bored many people now. Every time we go into a bar, and I'm like going, <laughs> "Yeah, I know where that's made. And I know we we, we stop when, when it doesn't drip. We're the reason why it doesn't drip. It might be but, funny after a few days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's
2: right. That's one of the first questions I ask when if I'm going to see a customer. They show me a drawing, and you see this component. You go, "Why is it? What what does that do? Yeah. What's it for? And and that goes back to your you continually learning. You 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 sort of. You you want to know you want to know what it's all about you want yeah. to know what what part that's going in and and what function it's doing. I think you
1: it's... had a similar background to me Neil really. I mean you you kind of started as an engineer on the shop floor and then like sales kind of found you and then you realised that that's what was what what the career was that yeah. that was supposed you'd supposed to be in and then you merged engineering and uh, sa- engineering and sales together, yeah. which has worked extremely well for you. And, and I just want to go back to the educational. Uh, subject that we're discussing. You are also part of STEM. What is that? Yeah,
2: um, science, technology and engineering Engineering, mathematics. I'm a STEM ambassador. Uh, So basically what STEM ambassadors do, they promote um, those four subjects um, in not just to school children, but also to the teachers as well. Um, So you can go to a school and do a careers fair, for example, or you can get uh, students into your place of work um, or you can go to universities and, and talk to uh, uh, talk to university students about about the subjects and about careers within within the subjects, um, and then basically encouraging the more younger people to, to pursue um, an engineering or a, a technology career. Yeah. So it starts really from junior school. Up to um, um, up to degree level.
1: That's a credit to you, really, Neil, and, and fantastic um, to hear that you've also got a bachelor's de- degree in engineering following, God, you know, that you did at a later date. Yeah,
0: so it's I, something yeah. to
2: be proud of as well. Yeah, that's right. I I, I decided um, fairly late in life that uh, that I, I would have I would have liked to have done a, an engineering degree. Um, so I signed up. Uh, I actually started with mathematics. I signed up for a uh, for a mathematics course with the Open University. Um, and uh, did a couple of years of mathematics, and then uh, uh, moved on to moved on to engineering. So it took me about six years to, uh, in total, to to get a bachelor of engineering degree. That's fantastic.
1: It's absolutely yes. brilliant. Now, in regard to this podcast, you know, um, I've known about Cogsteel for, for pretty much. I've known about you all the time, should I say? But I didn't really know. Uh, uh, what you did properly until you signed up with MTD just over two years, well, about two years ago. And since then, I've learned a hell of a lot. So I was racking my brain on, on what to kind of title this podcast. And I think that an appropriate title, which we're going to be concentrating on in this podcast is reducing operations and improving quality. Because when I was thinking about all of your products, that's exactly what all of them yeah do effectively, yeah. but what scared me was that in my previous careers on the shop floor and in aerospace, I'd never used them myself. So I want to kind of try and look at firstly, you know, the, the products that you offer and the barriers to entry, because now I'm educated in the products that you offer, I can see so many gaps in the market and I, I can see so many applications that they lend themselves for. Mm. and. Ways in which it would make companies more efficient. Yeah. So, firstly, tell me about the product range from can, an overview perspective. you <laughs> can touch on? I know that we you've got burnishing tools, and there's a large array of burnishing tools. So let's yeah. let's start with burnishing.
2: Okay. So yeah, burnishing. Um, we probably our largest range of burnishing tools are the um, the SRM type, the, the roller finish type. Um, which are bore burnishing tools. So they go from four millimetres up to, I mean, we've done tools um, sort of hundred and, well, 300 and odd millimetre, but so four millimetres to, to your sort of 150 millimetres are, your, are the fairly standard range. And we do through type and, and blind type. So if you've got a blind bore that needs a good surface finish, um, we can burnish it. So.
1: so burnishing is available for turning, and yes, milling now correct. because you've just launched a new invention with the, the, the milling head.
2: You can use bore burnishing tools on any machine so you can use them on a, a pillar drill, you can use them on a lathe, you can use them on a, on a milling machine so you can have the part rotating you can, or you can have the tool rotating, they're, they're your basic your standard burnishing tools for producing surface finish in a in a bore the surface finish and sizing
1: with burnishing now i made a statement that burnishing can reduce operations or completely get rid of operations yep. machinery and in the proce- process it always also improve the quality of your component and also add um, strength to it so give me a real life example or examples of where this has been achieved
2: okay i'll uh, i'll give you one i was in uh, i was i was in a I won't tell you which company, I was in Huddersfield um, and a customer uh, who uses, currently uses our deburring tools, uh, asked me about burnishing um, and or I mentioned to him about burnishing and he asked me a little bit bit more about it. I had a look at the the job, he'd got a job on there that that was a a straight bore, Um, it was struggling, he'd been struggling for days with the surface finish and he'd got a, a bunch of scrap, uh, parts that uh, the uh, the surface finish wasn't right. I happened to have that size tool in the car, um, so I put it on the machine, um, it was after a 0.8 surface finish in actual fact, and we got it down to less than 0.4. Um, I put it on the machine, it was, the, the part was burnished in seconds, um, and he bought the tool there and then.
1: And it saved the grinding operation?
2: Yes. And it's a consistent it surface scrap. finish. It, it saved, saved scrap. scrap, yep.
1: So we, ne- we didn't even mention scrap, so you're getting a con- consistency, a stable process, yeah, yeah. saving operations. <clears throat> so for this small investment, you're getting one hell of a return of the
0: investment, Lee. Well, that's right, because you're getting a lot of operators who are chasing finish. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're checking after 10 parts, their finish is then changing, so they're having to go in and they're, they're tweaking this and they're tweaking that, changing inserts. Whereas the burnishing tool is, is such a simple tool, and, you know, if, if one of the... I mean, I used to love when I used to go out and actually run these tools because an example like there, where you're after a point 0.8 finish and you've achieved point 0.4, and the operator will be looking at something that was nice and shiny, he's like, oh brilliant, and you go oh I'll just back it off because you don't need this good a finish, and they're always no 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 leave it <laughs> because they like it to look yeah, aesthetically yeah. better than it needs to be, yeah. but you know that once you've got it set to point 0.4, even when the the tool starts to wear after you know thousands of components, you're still going to be within. That within that, that tolerance, yes, yeah. you, you set
2: it's, it and forget it. That's, that's uh,
0: yes, very good. Yeah, set it, forget it.
1: Yeah, I think well, that, that kind of covers burnishing. And you've got the, the like I mentioned, the new invention. So, innovation is a big key within our industry. Innovation technology, we always say that you never stop learning, and, and keeping up with technology is imperative for, for all engineers out there. And hopefully, at, at MTDCNC, we kind of are informative and keep people up to date as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Now, I want to just kind of Get back to the beginning, really. Cogsteel started in America and they had a close connection with Henry Ford. Now, what was the product um,
0: that you were working with with Ford? Well, in those days, I mean, it was founded in 1914 by Stuart Cogsteel. And in those days, it was the Cogsteel Twist Drill Company. So he manufactured, as the name suggests, Twist Drills. And he was, it was quite a, a, a large brand in the US, especially in Detroit which is obviously, you know, at the time, it was the auto capital of the world. So you can imagine Henry Ford was very keen on uh, reducing cost per part. How could he increase his throughput? How could he reduce the price of a car so he could then take it to the mass market? So although he was using our twist drills, he contacted Stuart and said, have you got some new solutions? I want to reduce the the time it takes so can we have a drill with a chamfer on it can we have a drill with a counterbore on it so he started making special tailored tools for henry ford which all of a sudden then made it more cost effective for the for the cars to be manufactured and then hence kind of in, it was a was the the stepping stone really for cogsdill to look at more innovative tools for that that industry so he
2: was a visionary really oh, yes, you right. know and I, and it was a prolific inventor, Stuart Cogsdale. Yeah, 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 if yeah. you do a patent search on, on Cogstill, the amount of things that he, that Stuart Cogstill invented and patented is, is quite amazing.
1: I mean, there the were massive comparisons. I mean, our, our, we've done a podcast recently with uh, the managing director of uh, FANEC, Tom Boucher, about automation. Mm. Now, automation in the automotive industry is heavily embraced. You would yeah. never dream of making a, a car Without using a robot, however, you know in the uh, medical industry, aerospace industry, where maybe you're doing lower volume work or back, lower batch work, there's a misconception okay. that you don't need automation. But you know, if you if people are looking to reduce cost per part to remain competitive globally, Gl- new inventing, new inventions, and new technology is the only way in which we can all move forward. Yeah. And and inventions. That are available from yourselves such as the, the the diamond burnishing head for milling machines for example uh, or the, the the deburring tools that you know still in my opinion massively underused they should be used in every single workshop. Right. It, it fascinates me how people are not embracing this technology yet and how they can still remain competitive and what the results would be of these companies,
0: if they did embrace it. No, you're, you're right. I mean, we're even looking at it ourselves at the moment. We've got on our turning section, we we um we manufacture all the all the cages on a on an old icky guy lathe, and this lathe's about 25 years old, so it's it's it needs to be replaced. And it's interesting talking to the turners, and they're saying, well, we just want something the same. And I'm looking at it, saying, well, actually, if we had something with a with live tooling. Potentially, we could finish those parts on that machine rather than having them semi-finished, which means that we, there's no 2nd op in. And it's interesting sometimes when you actually, I mean, our, some of our turners have been there 20-odd years. And it's interesting when you look at, some people just think that that's the best there is out there. And it's interesting, it's like Henry Ford, when he made the car. He said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they'd they'd have said they wanted faster horses. (laughs) That's a great point. But it's true, because (laughs) no one had the concept that there was something else out there, and this is exactly what we do. We've got, I mean, some of our tools, like you say, are 30, 40 years old. It's not new technology.
1: But it was above, it, not above its time, it was... in front of its time wasn't it it you know, was that just shows the quality of the design Neil, you, you, yeah you,
2: I, I just wanted to just go back to you you mentioned about the the mill the milling uh, burnishing uh, that was actually um a, a process it was a valve manufacturer in in ireland who approached us and i went to look at their i went over to ireland and looked at their manufacturing process and they were they were polish hand polishing the the valve seats on the it was a gate valve and they were hand polishing, hand lapping the, the valve seats, and he wanted to automate it. He wanted the, the guy wanted a, a process where he didn't have a guy stood there for ten hours lapping a valve seat, um, and we put the um, uh, the burnish the burnishing milling tool in, um, and it took it from um, from a taking off the machine and hand lap it to a mill it and burnish it in one operation on a milling machine.
1: I think it's brilliant. So that, that, that kind of design come through demand in a way. Correct. Yeah. I think that a lot of people can look at technology such as automation, you mentioned automation and wanted to automate it. Mm. Some people can look at technology and automation and uh, AI, Artificial intelligence and look at it as a disturbance, as something that is going to change their business. And they're right, it will change their business, but they shouldn't be looking at it in a bad way. They Mm. should be looking at it as an opportunity to embrace it and to move forward. And I think that that goes for all engineering products that are out there. You know, there's Mm. you're only as I always say, you're only as strong as your weakest link within the engineering uh, process. Um, And I think that. It's, it's all good and well having the best machine tool for the application. But then all the other tools, your cutting tools, your work holding, your cooling, are all key elements to that, to create the complete and the very best process.
0: You, you, you're right. I mean, I, I mean, there's so many companies we go to where they'll invest a quarter of a million pound in a machine, and they'll have no budget for tooling. And especially on some of the bigger machines, like the horizontal boring machines, which our facing heads fit on. You know, they buy this, they buy these big machines because they have a a large component, um, and then they'll think nothing of then taking it off and then putting it on a lathe to finish it. Can you tell us what the ZX
1: range does? Neil?
0: So the so the ZX range of tooling is, is Lee, sorry, is, like, <laughs> is um, we make facing heads and modular boring tool systems for horizontal boring machines. So our facing heads start 200 mil mm diameter and go up to 900 millimeter diameter. So as you can imagine, they're quite large, you know, large tools. And they're for machining valve bodies, um, blowout preventers in the oil and gas industry. But we also um, use them for manufacturing landing gear in the aerospace industry. Anything that's a large fabrication that goes onto a horizontal boring machine. And historically, people would they, would they would you know they would they would interpolate mill, and then they would take the part off because there was features that they needed to be turned, and they'd put it on a lathe, whereas Utilising this tooling, you can actually convert your, in, in theory, turn your horizontal boring tool into a lathe from one setup. Again, saving operations. Oh, oh it's, it's, yeah, saving time. And thousands. improving
1: quality because you haven't got any mismatch. It's all exactly concentric it. with the other features. Yeah, exactly
2: exactly. Right. It says it allows you to do lathe operations on a horizontal boring machine, yeah. operations that you would normally have to second up.
1: Do I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't know if you know the figures or not, oh, but if you say, for example, there's X amount, of, say, if there's 100 horizontal borers in the UK, what percentage of them are being utilised with the ZX range? Wow. And I'll just put a spanner in the work as well. How many of them would benefit from the ZX? All of them. Right, okay. Is that <laughs> All true? Of, uh,
2: well, what, why? Uh, I, I often look at horizontal boring machines. Companies have got horizontal boring machines. I've got one, I've got one that I'm working on at the moment. Can we more work? Well, that's right. Yeah, cause it opens yep. up it yeah. opens yeah. up opportunities for yeah. them Correct. what they
0: can use their machine for. Yeah. And you see, yeah.
2: you see people and you say, I can't believe you've got a horizontal boring machine and you're only using it for for half of uh, of its if its potential. If you had a facing head on there, um, you could do so much more. Um, and it's not just a matter of doing lathe work. Um, a, a lot of people buy these big uh, boring bars, the, the twin edge boring bars, and they have to buy loads of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas with a with a ZX um, facing head, you can actually bore stepped diameters or different diameters um, to suit to suit the job that you've got, instead of buying bespoke boring equipment. So uh, the savings are astronomical. Huge, yeah.
1: astro- and I suppose the analogy that you're using then really, it's like buying a Ferrari to do Two hundred miles an hour, but you never drive it past fifty miles an hour. It's crazy, really, isn't it? It, You know, it's you you can kind of really maximise your investment. And why would if you're spending that kind of money on a machine tool, surely you want to get the most out of it? That's right. Surely
0: that's right. And it's like like embracing, say, embracing new technology. In the last eighteen months, we developed a um, a laser measurement system for these tools. So it's pretty much industry four standard. So this tool can go in; it measures the bore. It sends the message back to the encoder, adjusts the size and goes and machines it. I mean, that's, that's so another
1: great invention. I mean, you are definitely pioneers in, in what you do. There's not many people that offer the solutions that you do. And, and I haven't mentioned yet, and I think this is a massive point, really. You're also UK manufacturers. manufacturers. Sorry. So the majority of the components that you sell in the UK and around the world are manufactured in the UK. And you actually practice
0: what you preach. That's right, yeah. I mean, our market um, is 25% UK, 75% export. And with the exception of the deburring tools, the deburring tools are made, obviously, at our parent company in the States. But all the facing heads, burnishing tools, the recessing heads, grooving tools, and all the special bespoke... In the UK. And you actually practice what you preach. That's right, yeah. I mean, our market um, is 25% UK, 75% export. And with the exception of the deburring tools, the deburring tools are made, obviously, at our parent company in the States. But all the facing heads, burnishing tools, the recessing heads, grooving tools, and all the special bespoke stuff is all made from our skilled guys in Nuneaton. And...
1: I'm guessing that you're you're using your own products to make your own products. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And you wouldn't do it any other way. No. In that fact, That is the best way to, to.
0: In fact, that's one. One of you know that's one of our um, reasons why we sometimes develop the tools, and then we think actually this is quite good. Why don't we market this to other people?
1: Mm, evolution. Really. That's right. Yeah. So like, let's let's move on then, and 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 move on to education. You know. How can we change, in your opinion, the barriers to entry? Why, why have people got such a reluctancy to, to embrace the latest technology? You've got these visionaries that they're looking for that next best thing, to find a, find a better way to make something, but you've got some people
0: that always want to make it in the or same way as
1: they way. Or, well, How can we change that?
0: I think a lot of it is through knowledge, and like you say, education. Um, I think it's less now. I think there's less reluctance nowadays um, for people to change. I mean, I used to go into customers who it would just say this surface finish had to be honed. And they'd say, oh, I can't use a burnishing tool because it says to be honed. And it was then when you started questioning why. Now, some of it is for oil retention. So, yes, in those instances, honing offers certain benefits. But if it was just for a surface finish, historically, years ago, people just used to put on a drawer in, hone. Because they needed to achieve yeah, a surface absolutely. finish, didn't matter if it was a cross hatch, polished, or whatever. Mm. And they're the ones that, you know, if a surface finish is less than 0.4, and it does say to be honed, ground, or whatever, is question actually well, does it? What? Why does it need that surface finish? Um, and nine times out of ten, you can roll a burnish.
1: I think that um, at college, it's all good and well, kind of teaching engineering and different processes, but. They, that sometimes they're not using all of these latest innovations and technologies or they're not teaching the importance of, of, of a complete process and bringing everything together. Maybe we need to look at it from a different angle. I don't know. We, I, think need to be very, at... I think it
0: would be very difficult, though, Gio, because it, it is evolving all the time. And obviously, with a, with a, with a certain engineering course, they have to cert, you know, they have to cover core basics. So it would be very difficult if they were always using the latest in search geometry, I mean... Maybe
1: as OEMs, we need to be going to the universities, colleges, and giving yeah. regular presentations to, to educate, but not only, I think, from a product perspective, but also to change the perception of engineering in the UK. Oh, yeah. To try and get the best young talent into the industry to start with. Because, I mean, you mentioned before this in, in interview, uh, Neil, that mm. a, a, a young lad that you knew or know... Wanted to get into engineering, but it didn't yeah. even know how to. He didn't know what steps to take. I think this is bonkers. When we've actually got someone that wants to get into the industry, yeah. but what about the people that don't want to? Because they've got that perception still. They've got that misconception that it's it's not a good industry to get involved with. Uh, you know how th- we've got
0: to change that. Surely. We have. I mean, there's a great opportunity coming up in April when with at Mac 2020 in, in um, Birmingham. I mean, what a fantastic showcase for what. Britain can do within the engineering sector. Um, I mean, I remember 20 years ago going to Mac, and I was there with my sales manager Steve Gray, who was at there at the time. And I remember walk, and there was a an IT show next door to Mac, and you walked into the IT show, and everything was clean, everything was spotless, had plush, thick pile carpets. Everyone's in suits. You walk next door into the engineering show, there's no carpets on the floor and people are walking <laughs> around in jeans and polo shirts. And I, I remember thinking, gosh, what a!" If, if you were looking at that, where would you want to go? Mm. You've just left school. Are you going to want to go left and go into that scruffy environment or are you going to want to go right into this nice, cushy office job? And, and it's, it has changed. I'm glad to say That's that right. in, in the last 20 years, you now go and... You see the smartly dressed people in the engineering. You see the pride. You see the, the things that, that engineers can do. You see the robotics. It's, it's made engineering sexy. That's, I think and, that's
1: a, a good way to put it, uh, really. Yeah.
0: And that's one of the, the things that we tried to do five years ago with our yeah. own company. You know, we, we, we felt that we've got the products. How do, you, how do you show them in the best light? And how do you show the market what you do? Which is why we've engaged with the, with the likes of yourselves. Created a new website. We created these fantastic animations, and we've done so much to try and educate people. And I think over the last few years, we've seen more engagement, and we've seen more people come to us um, as the leaders in tooling innovations for this industry, which has been an absolute fantastic breath of fresh air for us. I think it's
1: brilliant. You couldn't have put it any better, really, Lee. I think that it's. In my opinion, I think it's a brilliant industry to get involved with. You know, regardless of what job or career path you're looking for, that you can. There's so many different facets to engineering. There's so many different elements to engineering. And I think with yeah. the technology, as you put, we're at we are at the forefront of technology and engineering. You know, with AI, with robotics, with automation. Yeah. The jobs are endless, the opportunity is endless, and I I can't stress enough to any young people watching this podcast give engineering a go, look at, or at least do your due diligence on engineering and see if it's what, you know, could be right for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, from a, a manual or shop floor perspective, there is a demand, a huge demand for CNC operators. I mean, I know that just through my own factory, watching guys who've been at the factory for 20, 30 years. They there's come a big to their, gap, isn't there? Luke? There is a big gap, and trying to find people of that calibre is very difficult. Mm. Um, but the opportunities are there to be had. You know? And the
1: shop floor is the best place to start your career in oh, engineering, yeah. in my opinion. Some people try and bypass that, but there's no better way to start.
2: That's right. I don't think you can bypass that. I think um, uh, you... you you go. You you were talking about design earlier on, and, and and you design for manufacture. So if you don't know how to manufacture something, it's you're over-engineering components. It. Correct. Yeah. You're right. um, and there is there is there's a big uh, there's a big demand for not just shop floor. There's a big demand for engineers. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, the the more people that we can encourage to work, to have a look at engineering. Um, as, a, as a career, the better.
1: And I think that that's bonkers as, as well. You know, we, we talk about automation and people kind of say, oh, it's going to take our jobs, this, that, the other. But there's such a demand for engineers. So what jobs is it going to take? I mean, mm. it's going to take away the jobs that really you wouldn't really want to do really you know doing a repetitive task 10 hours a day you can get a better job where you can be creative and you can get upskilled, get more money you know have have a bit more of a passion for your job i mean it's been a fantastic podcast i could go on and talk for another few hours definitely i mean but we'll have to draw it to an end but but is there any last thoughts any summaries is there any points that you want to to
0: finish on I think I would definitely have a look at engineering. As, as you've said, there are so many different avenues you can go down, whether it be the manual, wanting to actually be on a shop floor and manufacture something and have pride in your work, or you want to design something, you want to be mm. part of the next you know, revolution. It's like you say about robots. Someone's got to design those robots. Someone's got to engineer those robots. Someone's got to make those robots. So mm. it, it's, 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 a, you know, it's an engineering cycle.
2: And If you want to have a look at what we do, just go on to our website, cogstill.co.uk. I to go back to what Lee says before we finish. And I
1: think it's a, it's a really good point. I've got two children. One's five, well, five and a half, one's three and a half now. I lose track. But my, my my sons are heavily into their cars, their trains, like I was when I was that very, very young age. And then something happens to them when they're, and they're inquisitive, how yeah. they're made, this, that, the other. And then something happens to them when they go through school. They've not gone through school yet, but I know it happened to me. It goes. You stop Mm. thinking about it and then you leave school and then you start thinking about it again. And I think that this, you know, making things, designing things, being an inventor, for me, that's so exciting. to, To design something that's never been designed before, you know, I think it's you can't get much better than that surely. Short, no, I right. agree. And, I, and I'd also
0: encourage people to approach employers. Mm. I mean, I can't remember the last time I had a letter mm. asking for, um, you know, I'm leaving school and I want to know what opportunities there are. And that's, that's a shame because mm. I remember when I was leaving school, writing those letters to the local companies who, who were doing apprenticeships, mm. yeah. Because, and you got a buzz about it then, when you were selected and it was all big, you know, it was the start of the journey. Mm, and I, th- I, didn-
1: I think again, and I, I, I could be totally wrong, so I'm, I'm sorry to anyone that I may offend if I am, but I just don't think engineering is promoted enough from, from uh, you know, from the, the ground roots. No. You know, I just still think that there's, there's, in manufacturing from the government, from ev- everyone needs to be promoting manufacturing more if we want to, you know, remain a manufacturing powerhouse around the world. I mean, we're, I think we're number fifth or sixth you know, globally. You know, why can't we get to number two or three? You know, if we kind of, we, we can. We've got the skill, we've got the knowledge, and we yeah. need to pass it on to the next generation. And if we don't pass our knowledge on, then it's going to be gone. Yes, <laughs> that's that's right. You know, yeah. and, and I think right. that we've got to kind of all kind of work together. And I think one of the purposes of these podcasts is to make them educational so people can tap into kind of knowledge of industry leaders that not not just talking for the sake of talking but you've actually got the t-shirt you have wore the t-shirt yeah. you've done it you know all the way through you know i think that it's it's imperative that people can you know mention contact you if you're interested that's, right. that's what it's all about yeah definitely guys yeah. thank you very much for a fantastic uh, podcast no problem no. don't forget if you've enjoyed this podcast if you want to ask lee or neil any questions Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Lee and Neil would love to hear from you and we'll answer the questions that you may have on the next podcast or on social
0: media. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the MTD podcast. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. Find more episodes on mtdcnc.com.